Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Thanks, Mike. So good to be here with you all. How are you, Clovey? Well, you're going to have to do better than that. I know it's early on a Sunday morning. It's January. How are you, Clovey? That's the way. A couple of quick things you should know about me uh, is that I um, am raised Uniting Church. I'm saved Pentecostal. I studied non-denominationally. I was a teacher in a Lutheran school for 10 years and somehow I've wound up Baptist. <laughs> so that's, that's who I am. I, uh, I am very passionate about the presence of God. Uh, About six and a half years ago, we started a movement called Ignite Ministries, which is about bringing young adults, actually people of all ages, but it tends to be a lot of young adults coming together to worship the Lord, to seek his face, knowing that as we humble ourselves and pray and we seek his face, that he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. And how many of you know that our land needs healing right now? Amen. And so I'm passionate about that. And I really just believe that what the church needs is not another inspiring message, It doesn't need more information. So I'm not here just to come and bring you a, you know, a fun, engaging thing that you can go away and say, gee, that was good. And someone says, well, what did he say? And you're like, I can't remember a single word he said, but it was excellent, wasn't it? That's not what the church needs. What the church needs is an encounter with the living God. And we do encounter the Lord through his word, but it's word and spirit. And I'm passionate that the church doesn't just get information, but we have revelation that we have this, this, heart that is set upon the Lord and that the Lord will come and he will move upon his people and as his people are caught up in his presence, that's when the church catches fire. And when the church catches fire, the earth catches fire. And we will see renewal in our land and we will see the change that we long to see because our world needs healing. Amen. That's what the world needs. So that, that's my passion. I'm here. Yes, my wife, Joe, and my three beautiful children. I bring you greetings from Hills Baptist. And uh, God's doing a wonderful thing, thing there. So it's a privilege to be here. Thanks to Mike and Michelle uh, and Dubsy for having us along and making us feel welcome and loved. Um, what I want you to do this morning is to turn to the Gospel of Luke and we're going to the 11th chapter. And I'm going to read from verses 1 through 13 in a message that I am titling A Posture of Prayer. Luke 11 says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said this to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Another friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Everyone say audacity. Audacity. 
He will surely get up and give you as much as is needed. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, watch this, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can you stand to your feet? I want to pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your word would do what only your word can do, which is penetrate to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, that I would just hop out of the way, that your spirit would come and you would move in might and power upon your people. And Lord, that you do something in our lives this morning that would go beyond today. That you do something in our lives today that would, that would last a lifetime. That we wouldn't look back and go, you know, that was a great word. No, we'd say, God did something significant in my life that changed the course of how I live out my faith. Our Father, I pray that you do this. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of being invited onto an ecumenical leadership group. So ecumenical means multi-denominational. Uh, and we were, we were meeting together to discuss issues of youth and young adults. And we were talking about how is it that we inspire and engage the next generation, so young adult, youth, to be passionate about their faith? Like, how do we see these young people rise up and, and become leaders and, and owning their faith and running in their faith? And so there was myself, I was sort of sitting there, not as a Baptist, but in my Ignite capacity, and we had the Youth Alive director there, we had Pentecostal, we had Lutheran, we had Catholic, we had Church of Christ. You know, we had, we had a bit of everyone. It was this fascinating time of conversation and prayer and bringing a, yeah, camaraderie in the faith. And um, it was such a diverse group. And so there was me uh, and then my buddy Sam, who's from Youth Alive. And we were like, man, we've got to just, we've got to be passionate. You know, the church has to be passionate. We've got to pray passionately and seek the heart of God. And, you know, we've got to get after things. And the rest of the group at one point was like, yeah, you know, that's, we've got to pray. Prayer's the key. Let's pray. Let's be passionate prayers. And so my buddy Sam gets up and was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. He sort of shared this devotion. He said, we're going to spend the next half an hour in passionate prayer. We're going to stand to our feet. And Sam and I are both kind of standers and walkers. And we're like, let's pray passionately. I was like, yeah, Sam, this is so good. Let's not have any awkward silences where someone prays and then no one says anything and it's weird and no one knows when to jump in. And I'm like, no awkward silence, no silence. Let's just go for it in Jesus' name. And the other guy's like, yes, let's pray passionately. That'll be great. So we said, hop up to your feet. I think one other person got to their feet. We're like, let's pray. And we're trying to be ecumenical. So we said, all right, let's go around the circle. <laughs> and uh, we were starting with the guy from the Churches of Christ. And he's like, yeah, fantastic. Let's pray. I said, do you want to start us off? He's like, love to start us off. And he goes, all right, here we go. And he goes, Lord. And he waited for about five minutes of silence. 
That was about 10 seconds. He waited for five minutes of just utter silence. Sam and I kind of, what started as pacing, we then sort of, you know, the back started to get a bit sore and we started looking at each other like, is he, is he at a stroke? Like, what, what's going on? Is there something wrong? And after five minutes of silence, he then sort of started this beautiful prayer, just seeking God's heart. And I'll never forget what he said to me at the end of it. He looked at me and he said, Dave, if you're always talking, you can never hear. He said, passion is not a volume. It is a posture of your heart. You know, when you have those moments in life where people say things to you and they just, it's like an arrow piercing your soul. You ever had one of them? And this thing just, it just hit me. This comment just hit me. Because after joining the Baptist church and doing things like Arrow, everywhere I went, everyone was talking about silence and solitude. And for me, up until that point in time, like I'm preaching, I'm leading, I'm teaching, I'm doing all of these things, but silence and silence and solitude with God was virtually non-existent in my life. Your pastor in this season made me do like a 12-hour silent retreat. Now, I'll go 12 hours without food, no worries, but without talking, do you know how hard that is for someone like me? Like I'm walking around and I end up sort of, you know, Michelle knows how hard that is. We're walking along and I'm like looking at people like, and then I'll walk to the next person. Like I just wanted to communicate. And when Adrian said this thing, that passion is not a volume, it's a posture of your heart and was so content sitting in silence, the Lord just started to do something in my life. And I started to ask that question like, God, what, what is going on in me? Why is it? that I need sort of this external stimulus to get me going? Why is it that I'll pray with people passionately, that I'll put the worship music on and go for it, but everything I was doing was with others? And that silent, secret place with the Lord, every time I tried to do it, it was just so difficult. So I started to say, God, what is going on in my heart like, is this just a personality thing? Because there's plenty of people in the Bible who were introverted who, who sought the silent place, but there's plenty of heroes in Scripture who were extroverted who sought the silent place. And heck, if Jesus himself went up on a mountainside regularly to be alone, then surely that's something that I need too. And just maybe this Baptist crew are onto something. Just maybe you're trying to teach me to pray. So I began asking that question, Lord, teach me to pray. And lo and behold, there's some people who ask the same question in Scripture. And so I landed in Luke's Gospel and in the same story is told in Matthew chapter 6. But there's something about Luke 11. As I read this, one day Jesus was praying. Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? He's the Son of God. <laughs> Why did Jesus pray? He is the Son of God. He is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all creation was made. He, he is before all things. He is after all things, Alpha and Omega. <clears throat> and yet he prayed. And he sought the Lord's heart. And I just started to sit with that. Lord, teach us to pray. And I began to Read this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I don't know about you, but for me growing up, growing up uniting and working in a Lutheran school, 
The Lord's Prayer had always been this prescriptive thing. You know, we stand up, everyone says it together. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art, and some would say art, and some would say is. And that was always a little bit funny and awkward as well because you weren't quite sure if you were going to say art or is, and then you weren't quite sure if you are going to say sins or transgressions. And it would always be a bit different. But that's effectively what it was. It was this religious act to me. I stood up, I said it, it had no power. And so as I began to read this, I, I was like, Lord, this can't just be that. It can't just be a prescriptive thing. So I started to sit with it and think, well, maybe it's a pattern of prayer. You know, maybe it's that pattern like the Old Testament worship with the temple and, or the tabernacle before it where you enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's good. This pattern of prayer that we start with adoration and exaltation. We move into this place of reverence. So I started to try that in my life and think, this, this is what it's about. And I think the pattern is good and I think there's something in that. But the Lord began to show me that there's something so much deeper that He's doing. That it's not a prescriptive prayer. That it's actually so much more than a pattern of prayer. But what He is trying to teach His disciples is a posture. Everyone say posture. A posture of prayer. That it's a posture of our heart as we approach the God of heaven. A posture. And I want to, in the time that we have today, I want to bring out five postures of prayer that the Lord wants to show us. Here's the first one. When you pray, say, Father. The first posture of prayer, when we approach God, if we're going to have this, this intimate, like powerful heart of prayer with God and this intimacy that he so desires, we have to firstly get that it's a relational posture, that God longs for us to come to him with a relational posture, knowing that we come to Father. Father. Catch that for a second. Some of you are just looking at me blankly. You haven't thought about it enough. Father, this is the God of all creation. The God who speaks and light comes into existence. The God who speaks everything that has been made comes into existence. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He upholds all of the universe in His hand. This is God. He is incredible. I've just been reading through Exodus again. What He did in Egypt, this is a powerful, magnificent, incredible God. And yet He says to us, come to me as Father. And do you know in the Old Testament, only 15 times is God mentioned as Father. You turn the page to Matthew chapter 1, you start the New Testament and Jesus does something completely radically different because the word Father, Abba, Daddy, for God is used 165 times. What he's trying to say is in me, there's, some, you can, there's this different posture it's a relational posture. You can now enter. There's no longer that separation, but rather you can come right into the throne room as a child with its dad, that there is this beautiful, intimate, relational heart. Romans 8.15 says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 1 John 3.1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. 
And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Father, what does that mean for us if we have a God who is Father? Do you know in Matthew 6, when Jesus is introducing this idea of this posture of prayer, he says, when you pray, don't be like the pagans who babble and do all these things. He's like, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. And he says, he already knows what you need. Now, there's an interesting thought. If God already knows what we need, then why do we pray? If he knows everything that we need, if he knows every request we're going to bring, if he knows our heart because he is our Father, what is the purpose in prayer? And it brings us back to that question of why did Jesus pray? And I think there's something in this in that Jesus didn't pray because he had needs. Jesus prayed because he longed to draw near. Well, that was better than you gave that credit for. Let me say it again. Jesus didn't pray because he had needs. Jesus prayed because he longed to draw near. And he is modelling a discipleship posture for us that instead of coming to him with our grocery list, instead of coming to him as Father Christmas, you know, making a list, checking it twice, and then we find out if we're naughty or nice, whether or not he actually responds. No, no, that's not the heart of God. Prayer is about drawing near, not just coming with needs. And so we come to God because he is Father, knowing that he already knows what we need, that his heart is for us and not against us. And as we draw near to him as Father, then we start to realise how this, he's got me. And it brings peace and it brings hope. And especially in times like this, all of you online, this is where we find that sense of peace because we have a God who created the universe who is Father and He loves us. The purpose of prayer is not to get something, it's to be with someone. And as I started to capture that, capture that I was like, oh, it just began to radically change my life that a father wants to be with his children. Number two, second posture, is a posture of reverence. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Do you know, for so long I was taught that this is about us coming and ascribing to God, that he, you know, giving him praise. But in the Greek, in the actual language, this is not an ascription, which is right to do. Like that's what we do when we come into his presence. We ascribe praise. But in the Greek, this is actually a request. It's actually a request saying, Lord, make your name hallowed in my life. Let my life be a life where you are all in all, where you are most glorified, where you are magnified. It is a reverent posture. So yes, God is holy. We're longing, we're longing for His kingdom to come in our lives. It's you are Father, but you are awesome and mighty and glorious and wonderful. This is taking us back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah? Those first couple of chapters where there's Adam and Eve and they're, they're presented initially in the garden where it's, where it's all about God and walking with God, this beautiful relational posture. And then this moment happens where the enemy comes and he offers a different option. And he says, well, you've got God's kingdom, his ways of doing things, but you could do it your own way. 
Did God say? And he starts to say, well, what if you do this instead? And the sin of Adam and Eve is that they choose their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, this is a part of the human heart, the human condition. And so we need to come to God with a posture that says, I don't want my kingdom, I want your kingdom. I want your name to be hallowed, not my name to be hallowed. I don't want people walking around saying, how good's Dave? No, I want people to be speaking about Jesus and what Jesus has been doing. I want my life to be a life that resonates His glory and His kingdom and it's all for Him and not for me. It's a reverent posture. Father is King, may He be hallowed in our lives. Number three, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. Friends, the third posture is that we would have a posture that is reliant. It's a posture of reliance. It's relational. It's reverent. But it is deeply and acutely aware that without Him, we're nothing. Amen? It is so reliant, which is why he comes with this most simplest of things. Give us each day our what? Daily bread. What is bread? Back then, bread is just the essence of life. It's the simplest form of sustenance. It's, you know, for us, it's opening the cupboard and having some wheat bigs. It's the simplest form of sustenance. Give me what I need to survive. We don't pray like that anymore. Is that the posture of your heart? It certainly wasn't the posture of mine. Realising that I actually need to come to God with a posture that says, I need you for my very breath. Because I literally in this moment could be gone like that. Every breath is a gift from God. I am completely and utterly reliant on God. I am not self-sustaining. He is the one who sustains all things. And I get to come into this posture of realising that. And when I realise that, I'm like, wow, how good are you? It actually grows me in reverence as I realise how reliant I am upon Him. And it grows me in relationship because I realise how good He is and how much He loves me that this powerful Almighty God would, would sustain me and would grow me and love me and empower me. What it does is it guards against pride, friends. When we come to God with that reliant posture, give me this day my daily bread. It guards against pride. It makes us realise that far out. I can't do anything in and of my own strength. And I'm not talking about, you know, the athletes that love to put Philippians 4.13 on their shoes thinking that it's going to help them be better at sport. No, I'm talking about our daily breath. I can do all things through him who strengthens me because he literally is the one who enables me to exist. We are reliant on him in all things. You know, um, when I think about this, it just, it reminds me of the night before my wedding and I... uh, Joe and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary last week, which was quite exciting. And uh, 
The night, you know how those of you who were married in the room, the night before your wedding, usually the girls go off and do their thing and the guys do their thing. You have, you know, I had my groomsmen with me and a few other lads. And one of my dear friends is a guy called Jeremy Jakes, who now pastors Gateway Baptist Church out at Port Adelaide. And uh, we hung out, we had a great feast. Jeremy's a big boy. Like he's six foot six, he'd be 100 plus kilos. He's a big boy. Played footy for uh, Sydney and Port Adelaide and you can't fill him up, right? Doesn't matter what you feed him, you can't fill him up. And so our goal every time that we had him over for dinner was for him not to have to go to McDonald's after. And so we had this big feed with just the boys and my parents because I was staying at my mum and dad's house and that night. And um, they were hung out till about 11 o'clock. Great night. And so Jeremy then leaves. We go to, you know, the groomsmen go to bed. Mum and dad went to bed. All is quiet. And at two in the morning, Jeremy, six foot six, 100 kilos, walks up to my mum and dad's bedroom window. He'd left at about 11. It took him three hours later. Starts knocking on the window. Ellie. Because that's my mum's name. Ellie. Ellie. Bill. Bill. It's two o'clock in the morning. Ellie. Mum just wakes up. She's like, yes, Jeremy. Six foot six, 100 plus kilo, massive human being. At two o'clock in the morning, just banging on the window. I'm like, mum told me this story. I'm like, what is going on? Why did you do that? And he's like, oh, I was busting for the toilet. And his house was being renovated. He had no bathroom. So he went to McDonald's and he got to McDonald's after eating more food. And was like, oh, jeepers, I have a need. I don't know why he didn't go to McDonald's. I still haven't figured out the answer to that question. But he was like, I know where to go in order to have my need met. Where is it? It's Bill and Ellie's house. And so it doesn't matter that it's two o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter that everybody's asleep. It doesn't matter that I'm going to look really weird walking through the front yard of a, you know, someone's house, knocking on their window. It doesn't matter that I could totally you know, freak him out. The thing is, I have a need. And because I have a very desperate need, I'm going to go to the person to whom I know has the resource to meet my need. And so he knocks and mum, of course, is like, sure, Jeremy, come on in. He does his business and then he went home. We saw him the next day. There's something, when we have a need, we will ask. And this is what the next point is because Jesus doesn't finish at the prayer. He goes into a parable and he reiterates those same points. Suppose you have a friend. Everyone say friend. Relational, Yeah. Go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. He's reliant. And the way that he starts with friends sort of speaks of this. He understands that it's midnight. He understands that in this culture, that's a pretty weird thing to do, right? Because at midnight, when you go into Jewish culture, there's one room houses, which means when you put your kids to bed, you put your kids to bed in that room where you sleep, where you sit, everyone's in the one space. Now, some of you are parents and you know how difficult it can be to put children to bed, amen? Now, how do you feel when you've put a child to bed, they've finally gone to sleep and someone comes and wakes them up? Are you happy about that situation? No. So if someone comes and starts knocking on your door at midnight after you've put your children to bed in a one-room house, they're literally asleep right there, knock on the door, wait, I've got a need. I love it how this guy is like, friend, don't bother me. <laughs> Such a polite way of saying, what are you doing? 
It's midnight. I've finally got my children to bed. The children, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. He's like, I've finally got peace in the house and now you come to bother me? But why does he come? Because he has a need. He needs bread. He needs his daily sustenance. So he knocks on that door and as he knocks and he continues to persist, which brings us to the fourth posture, which is this relentless resolve. You see, there's something about the fact when you know that God is Father, when you know that He is He is to be revered, He is holy, He is capable and able to meet all of our needs, when you know that we are solely and completely reliant on Him because we don't have the bread, I don't have the bread, it's midnight, of course I don't have the bread. That's what's so special about this parable that we miss. Jewish people didn't have bread at midnight. You cooked the bread in the morning, you cooked just enough for your family, you ate that bread throughout the day and you did the same thing every single morning. This guy doesn't have bread because he's like every single one of us and yet his friend has bread at midnight. He knows where to go. There's something about the friend in this parable. The friend is God. Jesus is saying God is the one who will have what you need when you need it. Even in your midnight, he has Bread And so the friend knocks and he has a relentless resolve. And he says, I tell you, not just because you are friend, but because of your shameless audacity, he will give you what you need. Guys, the picture of the father here is so powerful. It's so powerful because of your shameless Audacity. What is he saying? He then goes on and says, you know, so I say, ask it, we're given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Is God saying, look, just keep on badgering me like a child wanting ice cream at Christmas. You know, can I have ice cream? 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 In the end of the day, oh, for goodness sakes, whatever, just have it. Is that what God's saying? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is because I'm father, my heart is to be the one who meets the need of my people. When my children have a need, I want them coming to me, no one else. Amen? And this is God's heart. He so longs to be the one to whom we are drawn in order to receive what we need. It is the Father's heart to be there for His children. That is how He feels about us. Band, you can come up. We're going to close the last point that we see is that he is ready to receive his reward. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What he's trying to get us to see is that the gift is bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He wants us to understand that the purpose of prayer is we meet someone and not something is that the reward is himself. The reward is not the stuff we seek. The reward is the spirit of God. That when his people have a posture of prayer, that when we come to him in that silent and solitude, we come with this this posture that is 
relational, that is reverent, that is reliant, that is relentless in its resolve to pursue Him and to knock down the doors, what we encounter is that He will give of Himself. He will give of Himself and that is better than anything else. The reward is God. And this is where we get so tripped up in our society because we're like, oh, I have needs, I have needs. So we come to God with the shopping list and we want the stuff, but He doesn't wanna give us the stuff, He wants to give us Himself. He's like, you're praying for wisdom. I don't wanna just give you wisdom. I wanna give you the spirit of wisdom. Maybe you have a healing need in this room. He's like, I don't wanna just give you healing. I wanna give you the healer. And maybe you're walking through what you're walking through so that you can walk with Him and you can go into rooms and into places and bring the counsel. You can bring the spirit of healing to those who are in need. Just maybe God knows better than you know. Just maybe if He meets your exact need when you want it, as you want it, He'll never be able to use you as He wants to use you. Because His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, but He is good. And He is to be revered and it's His kingdom and it's not our kingdom. And in that posture, we go with confidence and we go with hope and we have peace. Because I know that I walk with Him. It's not just about His hand, but it's about His heart and His, and His face, which is a Father which looks upon me. We get the reward in Genesis 15. I love this, where God calls Abraham to a land that's not His own. And what does He say? He says, don't fear Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield, your very great reward. Is God your reward? What are you seeking? 2022, what's the desire of your heart? Is it the stuff or the spirit? Why don't you stand to your feet, church? Because I really feel just to take a moment. I know we've got to close, but I feel to take a moment to pray with anyone here who's in that place where you're not, you know, you're doing life. Maybe you're serving God. But just maybe there's more. Just maybe God wants to put in you that new posture. And I'd love to provide a space this morning and we'll have just a chance. Uh, Michelle, Mike, Dubsy will be down the front and we're gonna have a chance to pray as the band closes us in our, in our final song. But a chance to get our posture right for 2022. For so much of 2020 and 21, we've hallowed the name of COVID, if we're honest. It's the name that's been on everybody's lips. My New Year's resolution is that Jesus would be the name on my lips, that Jesus would be the name on our church's lips and that we would be a people who walk in a posture of prayer, more than a posture of fear, more than a posture of conspiracy, a posture of prayer in the secret place knowing how reliant we are on Him and revering His name, but knowing that He's Father and He's good. So I'm gonna bang on that door with a relentless resolve, knowing that He is good 
and He gives us the reward. So would you come? I don't know if this is a normal practice here, but I just feel in my heart that it's time to pray for some people and just encourage you and just believe for a a touch of God, a touch of His Spirit to come and strengthen and empower you as we walk 2022. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to come as we worship and we pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We glorify you. We honour you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is good. It's alive and active. Lord, would you move now? Touch our hearts. Shape us, change us and mould us, we pray. We love you, Lord. You are good. Touch each person here in a powerful way. Bring us to that posture of prayer where we so value the secret place above every other place. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Amen. Come, let's pray. Let's seek his face.